This is the Saxo Market Call, the daily financial markets podcast across asset classes and around the world. Hello and welcome to the Saxo Market Call on Thursday, the 17th of August, 2023. And we had another session of weakness. Actually, we've had two trading sessions now in the S&P 500 futures that look looks pretty ugly. Um, it still worries, fears over China. We had FOMC minutes out indicating that, you know, there's still a lot of inflation risks in the system and they, um, you know, that rates could be up here for for higher for longer. We had uh, price cuts uh Tesla was doing its second uh, price cut in on its uh, EV models in China in just three days. So we had uh, the car manufacturers uh, you know, weighing on the market down almost 2.5%. Semiconductors were selling off, real estate was selling off, banks, retailing, and then media entertainment. This is where you find Meta and Google and other uh, entertainment companies like Netflix and Disney. So overall, very negative session. But before I hand it over to you, Altair, because I think the FM, FMC minutes and, and everything that happened there, obviously super important for bond markets. I just want to, you know, kind of talk negative things all the time. So uh, one positive news that actually came out within the last 24 hours, an announcement from Cattle that they have made some progress and breakthroughs in technology on their um, their lithium phosphate uh, iron batteries, which which are uh, super interesting because that means that they can charge uh, much faster, uh, more than, was it 200 miles in uh, in just 10 minutes? So, uh, so you know, and, and these batteries are much cheaper than the lithium-ion batteries that use nickel and cobalt uh, inside it. So this is potentially a game-changer. I wrote yesterday about the EV adoption and uh, and Tesla. So have a look at that on analysis.saxo. I think we are we are galloping towards this inflection point where we'll where we will see peak uh, peak oil demand in the global economy probably uh, you know 3 4 years into the future but with the technological improvements from companies like cattle in china it could actually go potentially much faster so that was a, the positive uh, news stories uh, of today unless you're an oil producer unless you're an oil producer yeah and um yeah, I have my own theory for why Saudi Arabia is actually doing this whole splash on, on football. And uh, I think actually it's linked to their own conclusion that we are getting to this inflection point very soon and they need to, to change their economy and make it something very different. And that's all about, you know, changing the brand. And um, football, I think, is an excellent way of doing that. But that's for a, for a different day. I will actually come back to that. But uh, but I've had you uh, waiting long enough, Altea. Um the FMC minutes and what happened in the uh, in the JDB uh, in, in Japanese government bonds. It looks like a very I don't know whether distressed is the right market, but a dysfunctional market potentially. But um, you have a lot, a lot of you have two slides here. Uh, sorry, two charts on slide three. So uh, so take it away. Uh, yes, Peter. So in a nutshell, what's happening here is that the yields are rising and are about to test key levels, uh, especially on the 10 years uh, um, and 30 year maturities. Yesterday, we had the Fed minutes um, saying that uh, members see significant inflation risk which might deserve more rate hikes. And this report came after a very strong industrial uh, production uh, report. So this is why we have seen yields uh, rising yesterday. But in this uh, this morning, the rise in yields has accelerated because we had a very weak 20-year uh, um, JGB auction. Why... 
uh, an auction from Japan should interfere with uh, U.S. Treasury and European sovereigns? Well, the answer is is, is uh, easy. Japanese investors have been buying, have been uh, big buyers of U.S. Treasuries and uh, European sovereigns uh, um, for many, many years. And if we see yields rising in Japan, as we are seeing now, that means that there will be less support for bonds in Europe and also in the US. And then this picture, Peter, is blending in with other bearish signals. Uh, we have the Federal Reserve engaging still in quantitative tightening. We have uh, a much uh, larger supply of US treasuries and Treasury bills coming to the market, which is going to increase uh, until into 2024. And as we just said about the industrial production data, that data are somewhat uh, uh, resilient. So this is bearish for uh, U.S. Uh, treasuries and yields uh, should move higher. However, um, as uh, our uh, CIO, Stephen Jacobsen, uh, um, fairly says, uh, uh, this is possible only until something breaks. And when something breaks, then bonds will be uh, the gainers. Uh, Peter, I just wanted to add uh, one more thing on uh, slide number four, um, that uh, within this environment, uh, we favor uh, low risk, good quality, and short duration. And I'm going to take you on slide number four, uh, where I look at interest rate hikes at the Federal Reserve, and we can see that uh, we are at a peak, more or less. And in blue, you see the spread between uh, U.S. corporate bonds and high-yield bonds. What this chart is telling me is that uh, junk is expensive. Uh, right now, junk... Um, corporate bonds are paying around 250 basis points above uh, um, yields from uh, investment grade companies. And that's uh, um, and, and that is what we had pre-COVID. And actually, if we look at the range where they were trading pre-COVID, they are trading on the lower side. So this builds in on uh, our view that uh, right now quality is king and low duration also. Yeah, well, you can argue that the, the devil's advocate would tell you, hey, Altia, well, who says that it's expensive? If we are not going into a recession, you get, I'm getting 250 basis points for, for taking additional credit risk. So if, the, if we don't slip into a recession, I, I can take that. that I, I think that, would, that must be the argument for those that are buying and bidding up uh, the value Definitely. of these, uh, these high-yield uh, high junk bonds, right? But the problem with junk bonds, Peter, is that uh, they are purely credit spreads. Um, they have a very big credit spread component and a very low um, rates component in the meaning uh, when we look at uh, um, government interest rates. So if there is a higher risk, perce risk perception in market, uh, spreads in junk will be widening much faster than investment grade because investment grades will be the credit component of investment grade corporates will be widening, but they will be more resilient because they will be linked um, to, to rates uh, more closely. So as rates will fall, they will gain as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, and an important point as well to note on the junk bond market is that the maturities in the junk bond market are much closer to around three years, where if you look at the investment grade, it's uh, closer to seven to 10 years maturities generally. And 
I don't know whether it was you all or ULT that showed me a, um, an interesting uh, illustration the other day where you know it was around half of all the outstanding debt in the S&P 500 uh, um, matures beyond what seven years from now yep, yeah exactly. so so and that's also is is telling you that, and that is the whole idea that the interest rate shock we got in 2022 and the the rate right now it comes with a significant lag into the economy because you have to refinance uh there's a t- statistic that came out yesterday that the if you look at the average interest rate paid on u.s mortgages is still lower than it was in 2019 before we went into the pandemic because a lot of people in the U.S. they refinanced during the pandemic at low levels, and that means it is this. You need to go through an entire refinancing cycle in the global debt before you really see the big uh, impact on um, on the economy. But anyway, that's a uh, that's a uh, definitely for uh, for a potential special edition Saxo Market pod, uh, Market Call podcast there. But Ole, cover China. Worries about China. I mean, the whole shadow banking system. We talked about it the other day. Janet Yellen has, has acknowledged that China is is now becoming one of the 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 major risk sources potentially for the U.S. economy. And um, we're having all these these bad news coming out of China, except for of course the positive one we had on on battery technology here. But that that doesn't really mean a lot for the economy in the short term. Ole, so but 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 copper is really an important industrial uh, metal. It is indeed, and uh, what we're seeing right now is uh, is a very high correlation to uh, to what's happening in China, which is obviously what we would expect. But uh, just picking up, uh, just looking at through some of the correlations, uh, we find that there's a quite an extremely uh, elevated correlation, negative correlation now to dollar uh, renminbi, the especially the offshore one, and uh, it just highlights the that the weakness we've seen recently in copper has been has been tied in with the the weakness we've seen in the Chinese renminbi. Uh, we are trading up on the day now after hitting a, a fresh low overnight, and that's basically in in, in line with the uh, with some strengths coming into the remember there are talks about uh, PBOC stepping in to try to support uh, state-owned banks has always been the heavy buyers of uh, remember both in the on and offshore markets. So that's uh, that's that's uh, just stemming the slide, but um, most certainly one one to watch for the short-term direction of, of uh, copper and, and generally what, what comes out from the, the, the authorities in China because it, it has been sending commodities in general on, on a on, uh, on, on added some pressure to the commodity sector. We, we are nearly down across the board now for the month. The energy sector is still holding on with the skin of its teeth with uh, natural gas up and diesel prices still up in the month. But otherwise, we are seeing corrections uh, coming into the, into the market and... Uh, even some like crude oil, where the the tightness is is being touted as the main reason for for prices to move move higher, but we have to remember that the the tightness in the crude oil crude oil market is uh, man made. It's uh, decided. It's been determined by uh, a few people that the uh, production should be cut. And obviously, if if a few people is involved, then, the, then it doesn't take much for that to be reversed. And uh, that's why the the upside risk, I believe, is is limited at at this point in time. But um, I might as well just stay on with it because. Um, the the uh, the focus on the commodity markets or the interest in the commodity markets has faded uh, this past month with the with the worries related to China with the interest rates uh, still not peaking and uh, we can see that in the ETF uh, market where the the flows uh, has really been uh, predominantly on the on the sell side when you look at some like gold and uh, surprisingly also uh, crude oil. So, um, so it could indicate that the investors are taking some profits on the on on the recent following the recent run up in, in crude oil prices, uh, perhaps in the in in the belief that it may struggle to move higher, but also perhaps just offsetting some losses that has occurred elsewhere. But um, but it's one that I'll probably write an article today about just uh, some of these recent flows. 
Right, and um, that takes us to equities. So one of the biggest stories this morning in Europe is Adian. Adian is a payments company. I have I obviously knew about Adian because I'm, I'm an equity strategist. So, um, but I, I had never really seen it anywhere. And then you know, yesterday I was doing a, a credit card transaction on a on a terminal, and I actually saw the little Adian logo for the first time in my life. And it's um, I was actually smiling because I, I knew they were going to report uh, this morning. So I was like, okay, well, um, maybe they're doing well. And it is one of Europe's largest uh, payments companies. But the um, the first half results that they reported this morning. Ouch, that was not good. Um, volume, as you can see here on, on slide seven, uh, 426 billion euros of volume versus 464 billion expected. That's a 10% miss against estimate. It's terrible. And then um, the EBDA, so the operating margins before depreciation and amortization, um, well, and, and interest and taxes, um, was um, was 43% versus 49%. And, um, well... That's also a very big miss, and they said on the call, um, the earnings call, that it's due to you know a, 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 an increased bidding war for talent here in Europe. So wages are going up for for the type of technical skills that they need for their type of operations. And um, I immediately thought, well, I thought that was what AI was supposed to uh, to solve, right? Uh, because it could write its own code, it could do everything for us. But um, I don't think that's really what is the case in the in the in the short run here. So in the meantime, wages will continue to be red hot for uh, for technical skill sets. Orsted is another company that we are featuring in today's stocks to watch. And again, on slide seven, this is a five-year chart I've put in. We're testing the areas um, around the lows from the early days of the pandemic and the um, and the the lows in late 2019, where they updated their their expected utilization rates for offshore uh, uh, wind farms. Where they they found out that they had did a they had done a modeling mistake or at least they didn't understand the physical concept of how the first row of offshore wind turbines they um, they distort the the wind flows for those that are behind it and um, and that meant that they had a lower utilization rate than the what the initial estimates were used or they the initial estimate that they had in baked into their model so. Obviously, that changes the economic value of, of those systems. So that was um, those two support levels are being tested right now. And if you look at the one-year momentum uh, f- across our different theme baskets, uh, you will see that the green transformation, renewable energy, and energy storage are three. Uh, you can see overall uh, green energy baskets are all doing uh, quite bad relative to some of these more strong performance themes like commodities, uh, defense, luxury. Um, Etc. Semiconductors because of the uh, the AI rally, so that's something we're going to track and we're going to write about it. Also, because as uh, as uh, one of our uh, in one of our internal discussions, we talked about that when we started the year, we had a very strong rally in the months of January in hydrogen stocks and, and 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 the whole excitement over the green transformation and maybe that this year would be a big uh, uh, a big you know a big positive year for for that industry it has turned out to not really be the case. So we'll 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 dwell dwell, dwell into that. In our in our next equity note, and then earnings to watch slide eight. Uh, the key focus Walmart. I'm actually saying that Walmart can surprise to the uh, to the upside here. We had uh, stronger than expected U.S. retail sales recently. We have had an upside surprise uh, in comparable in comparable revenue sa- uh, revenue figures for from Home Depot. So I wouldn't be surprised if Walmart is actually gaining a little bit here, uh, surprising to the upside against estimates. Um, there is a substitution effect as well um, with the inflation still. Holding on into the U.S. economy, that you know, buyers would will switch from, you know, more expensive grocery chains to those where you get uh, a little bit more f- 
for your for your money, and, and Walmart certainly is part of uh, of that. Otherwise, uh, if we move swiftly to the macro calendar, we have uh, initial jobless claims, continuing claims, twelve thirty, and around that same time as well, we'll have the Philadelphia uh, business outlook, and then at fourteen thirty, I don't want whether you want to ha- add a comment to the uh, the EIA's weekly natural gas storage change. Well, actually, yes. Um, we've seen recently that uh, natural gas prices, uh, not only in Europe, due to the worries about LNG strikes in Australia, but also in the US, has been uh, been poking higher. And uh, in the US, it's uh, due to very strong uh, strong domestic demand uh, as we go through uh, heat waves and so on. And that basically means that the weekly bills has been uh, been been trailing uh, what normally happens this time of year. And uh, as long as we see that, then then prices will be underpinned because it will keep inventory levels at the end uh, towards the winter season at lower levels than previously expected. So, uh, yeah, we'll be watching that. All right. I think that's a wrap for today's podcast. Thanks for listening. This has been the Saxo Market Call. For feedback and questions, reach out to us on Twitter at Saxo Market Call or by email, marketcall at saxobank.com. <laughs>